Today on the podcast, we're talking about conversations that matter. I'm joined by my good friend, Chad Littlefield, who says that he's on a mission to eradicate small talk. And as you'll quickly learn, this isn't just something he talks about. It was actually the foundation on which the two of us met. I typically like to keep these podcasts to roughly 30 to 40 minutes, but there was no way I could contain all the gold within that time frame. So I hope you'll forgive me that this episode is a little longer than usual, but I think you'll love it just as much as I did. Joining me on the phone is Chad Littlefield. Chad is the co-founder and chief experience officer at We and Me Inc., an organization whose mission is to create conversations that matter. Leaders call Chad when they want to amplify connection, belonging, and trust in their organization. Forbes called him a global expert on asking questions that build trust and connection in teams. He's a TEDx speaker, author of The Pocket Guide to Facilitating Human Connections, and he's the creator of We Connect Cards, which are now being used to create conversations that matter on campuses and companies in over 80 countries around the world. Most recently, Chad and his partner, Will Wise, launched their brand new book, Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter, and it's now a number one Amazon bestseller. Chad, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you. It is really lovely to be here. We're we're sitting at opposite time zones right now. I'm just ending the day. It's like 10.30 at night here. You're just kicking off the day and getting started. So we're kind of just kind of, we're both at peak performance right right now, huh? Because we wake up and go to sleep at our absolute best, right? Always, every day, without, without exception. Um, so normally when I start the podcast, I start with these th- three fast facts, which is, you know, where were you born? What was your, what was your first job? And then what do you do now? And getting ready for this interview, like you may not remember this experience, but maybe like two and a half years ago, we met for the very first time you were in Melbourne and we were at a, at a program together and you sat down beside me and I was like, Hey, how are you? Like, you know, how was your flight? How are you finding Australia? And you were like, no, I'm not doing that. Like your, your first response to me is like, I'm not doing that. You're like, I don't do small talk. I want to connect. Tell me about you. And you like dived into this conversation. <laughs> and that to me like totally caught me off guard. And since then, now I've been terrified to, to do small talk at the start of the podcast with you. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you remember that experience. If this helps reframe, um, that sounds a little bit like something I would have done. Sorry that that was so jarring. Um, Sorry, not sorry, I guess. So here's what might make this a whole lot uh, lighter. For me, small talk is only conversation that you're having out of obligation because you're not genuinely curious. And so oftentimes... Those conversations are the automatic ones, right? They're the ones where we sit down and we ask people questions, but we're in a podcast context. You want to set the context. For me, small talk has nothing to do with the content of the conversation (laughs) and everything to do with the process. So uh, Shane, ask away, my friend. I will happily tell you where I'm from. (laughs) I wanted to to frame that question because not that I found it jarring. It was so refreshing because, again, we have conversations all the time in our daily life and we're going to get to, I mean, who you are and what you do and and why people should love you. And and they, I think by the end of this conversation, they'll learn for themselves. Um, They don't need me to tell them. But 
honestly, it was so refreshing to hear someone who was genuinely curious, wanted to know about me, wanted good conversation, wanted that real talk right off the bat. And so um, it's really nice to be able to have, have you on the podcast. So I do have to kick off just so people get to know you. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? I learned my English on a farm in Ohio, um, but I moved around between four states on the East Coast of the United States. My first job was either teaching kids swim lessons or lifeguarding at an ocean beach in Massachusetts on the East Coast of the U.S. I can't remember which came first. They might have came in the same uh, same season. Lifeguarding was by far the more memorable one, though. Did you get paid for that? A whole heap, yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a whole heap job. relative uh, to being, you know, in tenth <laughs> grade or something. Um, but yeah, a whole heap. Got paid a whole heap to to sit on a stand and watch people. And we, the beach we were at was a particularly intense one. So I I actually did do things. I actually did go in to the water and rescue people. And uh, there was something that was exhilarating. And like, you know, I felt like this like high school, like, wow, I saved somebody. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Something felt good about that. Um, yeah, it was like double win minimum wage, maybe at the time that I was working there. I was pretty pleased with that in high school. How Most people I've talked to have started on a paper route here in Australia, and they got paid like five cents a, a paper. So that's a good first job. So take us from the journey from being a lifeguard to to what you're doing now. <laughs> I'm not sure you want the entire path, um, but what I'm doing Let's now, I'll, I'll share one in between. So sometime, uh, probably long before I became a lifeguard, I saw a movie with Robin Williams uh, called Patch Adams. And yeah. in the movie, Patch becomes uh, this doctor to really promote the quality of life over quantity. And uh, man, like seeing the way that in the movie, Robin Williams was able to empathize and, and really heal people through human connection. It was the coolest thing in the world. And I thought that I had my whole path from lifeguarding to now figured out. And I thought that path was going to be doctor. I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. I want like, I wanted to be patch Adams. And then I took a chemistry class in college though. And it was like, Ooh, this is not going to work. I've, out. I've been there. I failed chemistry as well. And I was on the path to be a doctor too. So I, I can relate. We've got, we got weeded out Shane. Uh, <laughs> So, so for, from that such, what I realized though, was I didn't actually want to go to school for 10 years to hold the scalpel. I just wanted to be the master of empathy and connection like Patch was. And so set out on this path to study the human brain and psychology and interpersonal psychology in particular, and then found my way into more learning design, experiential learning design. So how do we create experiences for people that... Um, they learn really deeply because I'd like to think that now I'm a really good teacher, but experience is by far the best teacher, right? When people actually get mm -hmm. to do things, when they get to be in conversations for themselves um, to put into practice. So one more little bridge, I worked for an organization called World in Conversation, which was crazy experience. It was like a PhD in humanity. And my job was to um, sit in small groups of eight to 10 people for 90 minutes. And I did this over 500 times. So, you know, like we're I don't know what the, the 5,000 ish unique strangers in this small group circle for 90 minutes to talk about really soft, fluffy topics like long term conflict, race relations, politics, gender, sexuality, religion, et cetera, for 90 minutes with the sole purpose of skipping headlines and, and connecting with the other. And holy smokes, I learned a lot about what happens when people actually skip past news headlines or stereotypes and connect with each other. So that is where I fell in love with the idea of conversation and connection. It's incredible. And I, I don't say this to kind of 
puff you up or in any way to kind of, you know, because people will learn when they hear from you just kind of how knowledgeable you are and, and how much great contribution you have in this space. But you genuinely are one of those people who I, I watch your content, I follow your work, and I, I genuinely learn so much around the power of curiosity and the power of asking great questions and just the value of really meaningful connection with other people. Like, what do you feel it is that drive towards creating more meaningful connection to, to people? Where does that come from for you? What are you hoping to achieve? Ooh, this goes back to small talk. I do not share this live very often because um, this is the, we have, we have a shared mentor, uh, you and I, who talks about if you're writing a book, what's chapter 13? What's the book that like mm. is a, such a deep core part of you, but it's a little bit eccentric. It's a little bit outside the bounds of the title of the book or whatever. And for me, I got clarity, and this is a longer story than context for now, but I got clarity about two years ago on a 10-day middle-of-the-nowhere kayak camping retreat that I exist on the planet to gently eradicate small talk. And uh, so, so some of that conviction comes from um, what I would say. I'm still trying to figure out exactly uh, the the source and what to call it. But I, right now, I would call it God or some higher power that is bigger than we understand. I feel that conviction, and and just had on that retreat had all of these like really clear sights of like you know um, Gandhi and Rosa Parks and Buddha and like can you picture any of these people like the ultimate thought leaders. Can you picture any of these people coming up to you and saying, how was your weekend? <laughs> no, no. Like, they, like these yeah. are, these are people who had a gift of like cutting to the heart of uh, what matters. And there was, um, so there's some major uh, conviction there. And then I also think when I observe, when I zoom out and observe the world, I see a world that is trying to quench thirst off of sips of connection rather mm -hmm. than gulps. And so, yeah. um, and I, and I can see right there, like that, you know, there's, there's the, the difference between like a little sip of connection, a little hit of like scrolling through and seeing a picture from a friend, like that little, whatever that little dopamine endorphin hit is, I can see that how addict, and I can, I can feel for myself how addicting that is. And I can also see how unbelievably unsatisfying it is. No matter how many sips you have, you never actually get that thirst uh, quenched. I love it. You are the, the global thirst quencher. You are helping people to, to quench that thirst that they're trying to unsuccessfully do through small talk and, and through those little kind of drips of or sips of communication and conversation. I mean, like if you were to kind of think about the last 12 to 18 months, like the world has just been in so many ways just changed dramatically. And I think it's always been important, the power of connection and good and meaningful conversation. And yet all of a sudden we've had like a spotlight shone on this because people have been isolated. People have been separated. And, and now we're trying to like really emphasize the value and the importance of connection. And like, what are some of the big things that you're seeing? Cause you work with a range of different clients across the U S and around the world. Like, what are you noticing? What are you seeing? What are you learning at the moment? One of the biggest things that I've been noticing for the last couple of years, and it's been magnified um, this, this past year is as kids, right, when we're all kids, we do not hide our need for connection, belonging, and trust. It's very, very obvious, right? And, and sometimes that comes out in the form of um, seeking attention, right? So it's like, look at me, look at me, look at me um, mm. as a kid. Sometimes that comes out in the form of just like this desi strong desire for quality time or whatever it is. And as adults, 
I don't think that need goes away at all, but we learn how to hide it. And so what I've noticed in the last year is that people are actually being much more verbal and transparent about their need and desire to connect. And they're saying things like, I really miss getting together in person with people. Whereas before, right, there wasn't there wasn't that void or there wasn't that thing to miss. And so people weren't as transparent. Like when, when they when you get together and go hang out with friends, they wouldn't say, oh, I, like I need this right now. Like I need to feel like I'm connected to other people. But they are now um, or they have been for the last year because that has been removed from their life. And so the, the I think the value of connection has been magnified in the absence of it. And so I had a mm. um, mentor once who used to say, if you want to if you want to see if something's true or not, imagine a world as if so. This was in a particular intense context with race relations in the U.S. in particular, which has been always fairly intense, but is especially intense lately. And uh, the concept that he shared was, you know, imagine our society as if we were a white supremacist society. What would you expect? You'd expect to see uh, white people, most positions of power filled by white people. You'd expect to see, and he just went off and listed all of these things that are the case um, currently mm. in the US was like, wow, like, well, you know, whether we believe that or not is, is, is not not for this podcast. But imagine a world as if you don't get to see anybody in person, we got to we didn't have to imagine that world. <laughs> that was the world. Mm. <laughs> um, and so because of that, all of these different behaviors, reactions started manifesting or coming out. I'm reminded like the the lyrics that go through my head of the song to that like big yellow taxi like that don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone like this is like for me the experience of like you don't realize just how valuable good conversation is meaningful conversation that sense of connection and belonging that comes from being part of a tribe or a community or you know a work environment and then all of a sudden it gets removed and you go I I really needed that and so what a lot of kind of what I'm observing is organizations are trying to manufacture now that place to connect. And so in their ways, they're going, well, we need to be able to create more opportunities for connection. And they're, I mean, in maybe a well-intended way of doing it, that what they do is say, let's let's have another Zoom meeting. Let's get people in the room together. Let's try and let's, you know, virtually connect. And so a lot of people are trying, but they're kind of missing the mark a bit. And there's been some big problems that is coming as a result of that. Like, what are you seeing? What are the big challenges that are getting in the yeah. way for some of these people? Yeah, getting getting people into the same space in person or virtual or hybrid is like step zero. Like you just have to have people gathered, but that's <laughs> but that's not even that that's not an effort. Right? I mean, yeah. I know that it takes effort to get people together, but that's not the effort. The effort is to design. And I actually I think there's a major opportunity that we've been given over the last year to gather virtually because we've lost all the organic connection that usually happens. So you picture you and I meeting for the first time in Australia and I sit down and we start having a small talk and I'm like, I can't do let's not do that. Let's do this. I think for me, that was me in, in some way embodying or, or living out this belief that organic connection is fine. It's not bad, right? Just like small talk as we always do it is not bad, right? It's totally fine. It's just really slow. It's the slowest possible way to connect with a group of people. And so you gather a people in, a group of people in person or virtually, that doesn't mean they're going to connect. And so the gift that we've been given being virtual, I think, is that it requires us to be intentional and actually design connection and add a little, not too much, but a little bit of structure to connection, right? You don't want to, you don't want to um, script connection because the spontaneity and authenticity that comes out when people are in conversation is beautiful. We don't want to mess with that. 
But I do think that I've got a co-author, Will Wise, defines leadership as making something happen that wasn't going to happen anyway. And I think a key role of a leader's job is to assume the social risk for the people they're leading to have more meaningful conversations and connections. And so it's the, the leader needs to uh, step out front and say, hey, I know that this is a little bit odd and our norm would probably be to just chat about this weekend. And I'm wondering, what's a personality trait that you really admire in others? And what about that is important? Right. Mm-hmm. You picture that question, like that, that specific prompt, that specific kickoff to a meeting. You could go around and share what you did that weekend. And you could also share your response to, to that. And I am positive that one is going to move you toward connection and cooperation and collaboration a whole heap faster than the other. I love that because what you're doing is you're accelerating that journey and you're putting kind of, you're speeding up that whole process to actually build more meaningful connection that we could go. And, and, and what you said is we could go the long way and go, well, let's start with some small talk and then let's work our way up to the next conversation. I was doing a podcast um, at the end of last year with Michael Bungay-Stanier and he wrote The Coaching Habit, The Advice Trap. And I said to him, like, I feel like there's this conversation that we get in in the podcast where you go, it's like, it's like small talk. And then there's this kind of good talk and then gets to this real talk. And it's like, it moves through those layers. And I said, one of the challenges of doing live podcasting when this podcast started out is that we would go, you know, we'd start that kind of intro context and then we'd get to some good talk and then time runs out and you're like, oh, we were just getting to that, that good conversation. And so now I've been more intentional. Like how do you accelerate that to get to that real talk and that, that good talk really quick so that you don't have to wait 30 to 40 minutes to try and get into that space. And so one of the things I touched that you touched on there, which I love was this connection and need to be intentional, but not prescriptive, right? It's not about like, we need to script out how we're going to connect, but you do need to be intentional about it. So how do you define, like, how do you distinguish between what is prescriptive and planned and what's intentional and spontaneous? Yeah, sure. Um, I think really easy. I plan questions, not answers, right? So I plan questions, not answers. And I also plan for the permission seeking. You can go immediately, instantly deep with somebody if you ask them if it's okay if you go instantly deep with somebody, right? So you can say, hey, you know, typically I would start out like I want to find out some context, finding myself really genuinely curious about what is life teaching you right now. Can we just start in that place? And if they say yes, then you're in and you're there. If they say no, then you respect that and you ask them where they're from. What I found is 99.98% of the time, people are like, yeah, right? They're, they're, they have the same reaction as, as you sitting at the table of like, this is not conventional, right? I'm used to just having this small talk, but I'm also not opposed to it uh, because yeah. you know, in a crowd of people, I used to do this when I would give keynotes and I have people raise their hand if they really enjoy small talk, however they define it. And there's always a few people. And so mm. I was like, cool, like you go, you guys go find each other. And then <laughs> how many of you really enjoy the conversations that feel like they really matter that keep you up a little bit late at night and just about unanimously, maybe with the exception of an accountant or two, every hand goes up in, in the room uh, goes up. And so that's interesting because there's a gap in conversation because I would then ask people, okay, cool. And how many of you in the last five hours of being at this event have had more than five conversations that you would categorize as small talk and every hand in the room goes up, which is crazy to me because that means in the last five hours, right, there were thousands of conversations where a person was paired up with another person having a little chat 
And they were like, ah, oh, this is a small talk. I'm not necessarily feeling this. And the other person was like, ah, oh, this is a small talk. I'm not necessarily feeling this. And then they split ways and did it four more times. <laughs> I was like, that makes me like that just blows my mind. And so, you know, I think as leaders, if we can even not delete that, but replace or shift in even 20% conversations that matter, the amount of like idea generation and collaboration and the reduced bureaucracy, like there are so many things that show up when you clear a pathway for people to have conversations that they want to have, right? It's, it's not even ones that like, I wish they were having like self-identified. I've done enough asking and enough research to go back and in short, how do I accelerate connection, but not prescribe it? Design your questions, but not your answers or your people's answers. I love that. That that thought alone, like if you could just in the next meeting and the next conversation that you have, be a little bit more intentional around the questions that you ask and, and gaining that permission is valuable. One of the things that came to my mind when you were saying that it's like, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've just been living with a pain and it's like, you've been living with your entire life and you just go, I don't, that's just how I, how things are. And then you go to like a chiropractor or a physio and they work out a knot and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that that's, that could be that way. And I think when you were saying before, it's like, we, we kind of live with this pain of small talk and we all hate it. <laughs> we kind of just do it. And it's like, someone has a conversation that takes it to a really meaningful place. It's not met with, oh, this is like weird. This is uncomfortable. It's usually met with oh, like, I didn't know that I needed this, but I really value this. There's something about that experience, right? That is a magical metaphor. That's like, I think that's exactly it. And to take that metaphor even further, like there, there is that initial discomfort. If you ever gone to a chiropractor and they put your hand, <laughs> yeah. their hands on your head and they're about to crack your neck, you're like, I've seen this in a movie before. This doesn't end well. This is not good, right? Yeah. So there's that initial discomfort because you are breaking a norm and a status quo, but man, does your neck feel really good after that really scary crack? Yeah, it's entirely true. And I'm glad you said discomfort because that's the question I was going to ask you next, which is I talked to a lot of people and, and they want this, like at a, at a, you know, beneath your title of your chief executive role or your GM role or your head of role, we're still people below the surface of that. And the more conversations I'm having with people where we're asking valuable questions, meaningful questions, questions that accelerate that journey towards trust, people go, I love this. But there's still the discomfort within an organization about sharing in a professional context. Totally. Questions that like are personal and intimate and relational that aren't just about my work. Like how do you help people overcome some of that discomfort? Yeah, and this, this is um, perhaps the most asked thing by HR people specifically. <laughs> there's a, <laughs> more people than you uh, think are open to this idea and there are two two very key ways that i navigate that dynamic because it's very real it's a, it's a valid problem yeah. and and before i share these two you know if you picture if you've ever seen a graph of like peak performance so they've done all this research of like you know uh, when do people get the best scores on tests? Is it when they're really apathetic and just kind of chilling, not nervous at all? Or is it when they're freaking out and they studied, you know, they pulled an all-nighter? And it's right in the middle where their heart rate is elevated, but they still have their head on their shoulders. And I would say the same is true for connection, that you can have too much connection. You can have oversharing is a thing, right? It's possible. So the two ways that I navigate this, one is this concept in this framing of challenge by choice. And so before I ever ask, so I will start most of my meetings with a question. 
And I would invite, if you want to be, quote, be intentional about designing your questions, just start a meeting with a question. It's a really unconventional, simple rule. Start a meeting with a question, invite people to break out, chat about it, whether you're virtually, whether, whether you're in person. The second related to that uh, challenge by choice, the concept is a question is like a key that unlocks something inside somebody's lifetime of ungoogleable experience. Mm. The cool thing, though, a question is not like a key to your car or your house. A question is much more like a custodian or a janitor's key that unlocks the master key that unlocks many, many doors. And so, Shane, if you were to ask me, Chad, what is life teaching you right now? Right, like that's, that's a deep question. That's not like a bus stop question. That's a deep question. Yeah. And yet, I could answer and say, my studio is a little chilly right now. I probably could have put on a long sleeve. And I also could say. Life is teaching me to work a little bit less so that I can work on my marriage. <laughs> two really different, yeah. both true, two really different yeah. answers. Um, one is a lot more meaningful. And so my strategy as a leader is to remind people that they have 100% choice and autonomy of how they answer any and every question that's asked. Mm. And they can go deep and they can go light and both are perfectly fine. Yeah, and then the second cool. quick way, and this is the uh, one, you know, in any group, there's multiple states of mind. So you're going to have critics, consumers, or contributors mainly. And then on the fringes, you've got curmudgeons, people who are just in a perpetual state of crankiness, and connectors, people who are just masters of connecting people to people and ideas to ideas. Specifically for the critics and uh, consumer bucket, for me, the idea of connection before content or starting out a meeting with a question or anything else the way that you catch the curmudgeons and critics and invite them into the land of contribution is by connecting whatever you're doing to the purpose of why you're actually meeting. And this is where a lot of people miss it. Like connection is not like, hey, everybody, let's gather around. Welcome to the meeting. Let's have a like, let's, let's meet each other and connect for five minutes, right? <laughs> that's fine if that's your energy and you want to do that. What I would much more strongly recommend is, hey, you all know a ton of stuff about what we're going to be talking about today. And so instead of me just talking for a half hour, can we just have a quick chat about this question that will kind of get our brains turned on for where we're going? Now, that question will invite people maybe to share a story related to the content or the purpose. And so there is that authenticity element. There is that personal connection element, but it's rooted also in this work context as well. It's situated within that that platform so that both can happen. Um, and if if just connection happens without the purpose, whew, critics love to say, I'm not sharing that. This is work. I'm not doing yeah. that. Right? That was a long answer for those two questions. It's drawing the line of sight between like, and this comes back to the word that we used before around intention, right? It's it's, it's intentional connection and intentional um, questions that help us prepare the conversation that we're going to be having. And an example that comes to my mind is like we did a workshop last week with a group and we were talking about they're about to go on under a huge change process. I mean, every organization's about to go through a change process, but um, I actually used one of your connect cards and it was, I think the question was like, what's one of the strangest foods you've tried? And it was like, I was not expecting the answers that I got. And to give you some, some, some of the answers that came out of there, one was shark fin soup. Another one was guinea pigs in Peru. Another one was raw horse meat that came out in one of the conversations, raw, raw horse meat. It's like a horse sashimi. I don't know what, what that is. Maybe it's a delicacy <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I, wow, I was like, Mongolia did you, maybe. did you voluntarily eat that? Like, I wasn't sure whether it was like an accidental thing. Um, <laughs> But like this conversation, it was just full of laughter. And I find that one, when one person shared their story, other people were like, yeah, and then I had this experience and then that experience. And it kind of brought all this conversation together. 
But then where we got to is like, how is change like trying something new for the first time? And we were like drawing all these links between like what is unusual and unfamiliar today becomes normal tomorrow. Talking about guinea pigs in Peru, once it was really unusual to eat, tomorrow it becomes a a delicacy and a normality. And like some people are risk averse, other people are willing to take the risk. Like this incredible conversation came just by being a little bit more intentional about how we framed that conversation. This is the value of it, right? Genius. This is so genius. <laughs> you know, Shane, I put out these uh, daily video tutorials on YouTube and that your exact example, like that, that is a pristine example of how a seemingly purely connection question can very deeply relate to the purpose of why people are actually there. Oh, so good. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> this is, and, and, hey, well, and, thank, and well, thank you for writing these. <laughs> these are valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for I, to be honest though, like you use that you use that question better than I have ever used that question by far, right? In fact, we I actually have considered removing that specific question from the deck because it's a little bit more of like, uh, or it leans a little bit more toward a traditional icebreaker question, whereas the rest of the deck is really goes quite a bit beyond traditional icebreaker. You know, what's your favorite color sort of um, questions, but. Strangest food you've tried is like kind of bordering on that, but now I'm never going to take it out of the deck. Because, <laughs> it's staying uh, in there. Well, it's, so not, it's on my computer anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but here's, here's my question that I asked to this, right? So so when we get this right, like when we, you, when we have experiences like that, what's the value that it adds to an organization? What's the value it adds to a team? Like when we get this right? Yeah. So let's, let's imagine a world as if an mm. organization existed and employees never talked to each other. There was never any conversations. What would happen? Would there be culture? Would there be um, idea generation? Would there be sharing? Would there be any loyalty? Would there be promotions? Would there be any movement at all? And I would say no. Um, in fact, um, Will, my co-author, and I, we were giving a co-giving a keynote at one point, and he slipped and shared the subtitle of the book is "Create Conversations That Matter." He slipped and said, "Conversations that create matter." And I was like, oh, that's this is so good because it's absolutely true. Like conversations actually, because it's it's the way that as humans we communicate, they actually create everything. Like without conversation, there is no computers. Without conversation, there is no – like there's so much that relies on conversation. And so I would say if you were to break down, if you were to look at organizational change at its most fundamental levels and you were to pull all the molecules apart, the smallest piece, like the atom or, or the quark, I guess, is that the smallest mm, molecule or yeah. thing that we've uh, been able to see? I went into like running my practice and didn't do the medical route or the science route. So I can't give you a can't solid answer on that. Deny. But let's just, let's say that it is. It's not, it's not. And if I get, if I get closer to the mic and we say quark, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So, so at the most granule, granule level, I think a huge source of change at the smallest uh, level is questions. It's the questions that we ask or choose not to ask. Um, And so uh, what impact does it have on an organization? Like you can see right now, I'm like getting a little bit uh, fired up because I've seen how many times when a leader and educator has come back and said, oh man, like I attended this workshop or I uh, read this thing or I used this uh, deck just to open up the beginning of a meeting and it totally transformed. Like we were like low morale, feeling kind of burnt out, disconnected because we were all working remotely. And we started off that session with more energy than we've had in the last three months. And uh, I learned things about people that I've worked together with for 10 years that I had no idea about. And so it's like, if you've ever seen the movie Ocean's Eleven with George Clooney, it's kind of that like 
knowledge of personal backgrounds, and this is what I'm saying is like verbatim peer-reviewed research from a decade of <laughs> educational psychology, knowledge of personal backgrounds creates communication shortcuts. I'm not sure that we needed a decade of educational psychology research to <laughs> figure that out. But uh, when we know things about who people are, it allows us to create shortcuts. Like George Clooney could turn to somebody else on his team and say, hey, let's do what we did in Panama. And then boom, mm -hmm. they have that shortcut. They're off to the races. They're, they're running. So it actually, when you slow a little tiny bit down for connection, it speeds up the cadence of everything else uh, or can speed up the cadence. Yeah. yeah. I was having a conversation with someone who was in a senior leadership role. And she said to me, she goes, there are people who, my, who are on my team that I just feel like we can move quickly and spontaneously where we need to go because there is so much trust that exists within this small circle of people. And she said, the further you get away, so my the, the teams of my leaders, there's less of it. And I feel like I'm constantly tiptoeing around. It's slow. Things like aren't, they can't be as spontaneous. And she's like, like, and I said, what would it look like if everyone could have that kind of energy that your close circle had? And this is what connection does, right? It accelerates your ability to be able to move quickly, to be able to, to trust deeply, to be able to, um, you know, really or what you were talking about, hold things together when things could be pulled apart. Like there's so much value that connection can add to a team and an organization, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, Here's a, a very deeply personal example from uh, yesterday. So Will, I've mentioned a couple of times now, um, was diagnosed with stomach cancer a couple of years ago and has just been on this hell of a journey. And uh, he was on this clinical trial and, uh, you know, the, the peak of bureaucracy, right? This huge healthcare system, so many policies, procedures, protocols that needed to be followed. And, but they needed, they wanted to get him in for this particular treatment uh, quickly. And a doctor who was on vacation got in touch with a nurse that he's worked with for 30 years. It was actually her last day. She was switching into uh, pharma. She was leaving nursing, right? Most people would be totally checked out in this moment. But because of the connection this doctor had with this nurse and because the, and this nurse also was like, in some ways, the picture of bureaucracy, she's like, need to follow all the protocols. Uh, Will, Will forgot to make a single check mark on a form and he made, uh, she had him come up seven floors. Will on the phone was like, can you just do the check mark? Like I signed the form. You saw me. I was right there. It was just a slip. And she's like, nope. Right. So like all of this, uh, fuss. however, she made it happen, right? She was like this amazing rule follower, which was important for this uh, clinical trial. But because of the connection that doctor had with nurse, that Will had with uh, nurse, like he got treatment about 10 times faster than anybody else would have because there was this little web of connection that was working to navigate through and around all these policies and procedures and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, everybody in a big organization gets frustrated by bureaucracy. And my thought is, don't worry so much about breaking it down. Just create this crazy neural link pathway of connections through it so that you can move really quickly. In the same way that our brain actually develops neural pathways, just develop heaps of pathways through and around that bureaucracy that's frustrating you. That's cool. Such Such a good kind of mental picture to kind of carry into this conversation. Um, let's talk, I guess, a little bit more practically. And I mean, not that nothing that we've talked about hasn't been practical. Um, but again, there's just been so much kind of rich content in this. If we were to talk to some really pragmatic people who are trying to, you know, connect in a virtual world, and we're kind of coming in some ways on the other side of that, 
Like what are some of the big things that you're helping people with to be able to do this in an online space and then moving into an on- online hybrid space? Like, like what's, what are some of the big things that you're talking about and, and sharing at the moment? Love it. One of them I got from a fellow Australian. His name's Mark Collard. He runs a company called Playmio, which is this giant database of interactive group exercises. Brilliant resource. And he coined this term, this idea. It's not brand new to the world, but I think the term is really sticky. This concept of an unofficial start. So typically, if we're in person, um, meeting starts at nine, people are going to trickle in somewhere between five and 10 minutes before, maybe a couple minutes after. And most often, we reward people for being late by waiting for them and sitting around either on our laptops or an idle chit chat while we wait for that person who's late, especially if they're the Mm. leader. (laughs) Never start without the leader. (laughs) Um, The idea of an unofficial start says, no, 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 Wait, 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 people's time is way too precious rewind. Let's immediately get started a few minutes before the official start time with something to spark just some quick and purposeful engagement. And so that might be a question that might be a little puzzle or challenge to solve. That might be whatever it is. The idea is that you're starting as soon as people are there with something intentional and not totally open organic. And so virtually that is especially true because most people just click the link within 80 seconds of when the official start time actually is. And so like, boom, appear. So we all teleport into the same place. And it's kind of like, I picture us like, you know, I still sometimes feels like we teleported for the first time. Everyone's there and they're like, uh, what do I do next? <laughs> so you teleported to Mars and like, what, ha- who's going to do what? Uh, right. And so I think the, the idea of an unofficial start is no matter when people jump in, there's something going on. So for me, I hold up a WeConnect card, one of these questions to the cameras people are coming in and I'm inviting people to drop their response into the chat. This, I did a workshop with you and you did the unofficial start. You kind of talked that through. And one of the questions I think you asked is like, what's something that you know something about that's totally unrelated to your practice or your business? And I used that in a work context. And I was like, tell me something that you, you, that you love doing that's totally unrelated to your job. And we were getting things in the uh, in the chat like craft beer and like um, you know someone was into I can't, I can't remember the word for it but trees like the like the arborist uh, or something uh, yeah like 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 full on into trees and and tapestry and all this kind of stuff we're having these conversations and people were coming in late and they were like I'm so sorry I'm late I, 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 you know what am I missing like this is like they felt like they were interrupting because they were coming in late rather than like hey thanks so much for joining us we've been waiting for you like yeah. it was it was it was incredible really really practical tip. Which is, yeah, it's interesting because uh, the way to frame it, because it, it is possible to lead it in a way that, because you don't want people to actually feel unwelcomed when they come in. Yeah. Um, and so, the, you know, it requires a little bit of repetition, particularly virtually to be like, hey, I, you know, I've seen 10 other people have joined. Welcome. Super glad you're here. If you're confused as to why someone just typed the word <laughs> tapestry in the chat, here is what we're answering. Here's what we're talking about. And, and just, you know, that constant invite, which actually is really a great thing for the culture of the group because you're basically saying if you repeat something like that four or five times before the meeting even starts what you're actually saying just in different language is hey welcome you belong here hey welcome you belong here hey welcome really glad you're here you belong here you're not going to say that no one would ever say that but you are communicating that through what you're what you're doing so that's that's a huge one the second thing that can and and should actually probably take less than 60 seconds that most meetings completely miss out on. The language that I have for it right now is this idea of a context hook. So especially virtually, you click a link 
it's a different temperature where everybody is. There's different sounds. There's different dogs barking. There's different kids screaming. There's different whatever is going on in your context, right? That person is in maybe at different times, different meetings. Everyone's in a different context. And yet you're trying to do something in the same context. And I believe until as the leader, you speak some context hook or do something that hooks people into the same context. And, and I don't mean like hook, like a fish hook, like jabbing into somebody's <laughs> cheek, more like uh, what was the little Bo Peep with her um, little staff to rope sheep yeah. in. You're like, welcome, come in, come in, come in. It's just, you know, it's just a way to kind of bring people <laughs> into the same headspace. And the easiest way, so getting really practical here, the easiest, lowest prep way to make a context hook happen is to A, get really clear about what your intention is for that time, and B, make sure it includes the others, right? Make sure it actually includes, it's not actually just your needs. It includes the needs of people that showed up. And then lastly, share it, share that intention with them. And so I'll share a um, really unwilling group of insurance agents that I was working with didn't want to be there. It was mandatory for them. It was this big, giant leadership meeting, executive leaders, you know, 30,000 person company. And these are the, the top leaders in the group. Busy people, got a million things on their mind. Their context is like past, future, and they definitely weren't in the present. And my context hook, my exact sentence or statement to them was, we were meeting around how to make virtual engagement easy, how, how they could actually make their virtual meetings uh, better, a little bit more effective. And my sentence was, hey, y'all, I'm excited that you're here. And I recognize that many of you don't want to be here. And so my intention in the next hour is to be a painkiller for the next 100 hours of virtual meetings that you're going to have. And I think actually I'm realizing right before that, I had them drop in the chat how many hours in the month of November are you going to spend in virtual meetings? And so I see, you know, I'm seeing numbers that are mm. right around an average of 100 hours going through the chat. And so I'm like, okay, cool. With or without this gathering, you're going to be in a hundred plus hours of virtual meetings. And you're probably going to get to the end of a bunch of those days and say, man, I'm exhausted, man. I'm, I feel zoom fatigue, man. I feel whatever. And I'm going to share specifically five things today that are going to help you navigate around that and outside of that. So you can end your days energized and your teams can also not be so burnt out. Um, even though we're stuck in this moment in this pixelated world. Um, and so you can see right there that context hook for a bunch of the critics and curmudgeons. They're like, eh, I'm intrigued. I'll at least be a consumer for a little bit. Right. And then it's my job, you know, throughout to uh, continue to loop them in, continue to rope them in. But that was, a, that was a long way. That could just be one sentence, though. Right. I, the intention mm. that incorporates what they care about, not just what I care about. So that's, you know, context hook is so not an agenda. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So important. Like uh, there are so many people who get to the end of a meeting and go, I'm not sure why we were there. And there's nothing worse than getting and going, like, I don't, like, I know that we talked about a lot. I know that we did a lot, but I'm still not sure why they gathered us into that place. A, a mutual friend of ours, um, Gabrielle Dolan was on the podcast a few weeks ago and she was talking about she's, like, this whole idea of Zoom fatigue. And she's like, people aren't fatigued of Zoom. They're just fatigued of boring meetings. They're fatigued from like, from just showing up and not feeling engaged or not having any sense of connection. Like it's not Zoom, the platform that's fatiguing people. It's how we're running these kind of meetings in these spaces. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, it's not uh, Zoom burnout. There's bad Zoom burnout. Yeah. Right. When you, when you, when you Zoom, because it, it's, it's a tool and like a hammer, um, I can use a tool. I can use a hammer specifically to build a house. I can also use it to smash my fingers out. 
<laughs> right? Both, both are, it's starting to be a little bit visceral, um, but both are possible with Zoom. You can destroy yeah. the morale of a group and leave people exhausted and unmotivated, or you can be intentional in the way that you design meetings. You can kick off with questions on official starts. You can be really clear about the purpose of that gathering with this idea of a context hook, incorporating other people's needs, which you might crowdsource actually, right? It doesn't have to need to be your language. It could be, what do you want to get out of this meeting? And can everybody type that into the chat? And like, cool, there's our mm -hmm. live set agenda right there in that moment. So unofficial start context hook. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So unofficial start context hook. Third one connection before content. I feel like we talked about a, a good bit. Yeah. Um, so yep. we'll just say that's important. And there's a lot of research that would also back up and say that um, if you spend five to 10, I'm going to say three to 10 minutes on connection before content, you will save 10 times that in the next several future meetings that you have because of those communication shortcuts, because of people's comfort level, because of people's psychological safety, right? There's all these uh, benefits that come along with that. And the simplest way to do that is to come up with a question that connects to purpose, invite people to break out into groups of three to seven people and talk about it and then come back together and do a quick popcorn. And so you can do connection before content really, really, really well in seven or eight minutes. It doesn't need mm. to take up um, the entire meeting, but it does turn people's brains on. The fourth um, ingredient that I share is uh, content, but that's kind of general, <laughs> right? Like, of course, there's going to be content <laughs> in the meeting, but I wanted to put it in just as that language because 80% of most people's meetings who aren't like, you know, leading workshops or doing like leaders, they're content, right? They have an agenda. They have, they have stuff they got to get through. And so I would reframe content as contributed content, meaning your meeting should not be mostly you just reporting out and then passing it to the next person to report out and then passing it to the next person to, to report out. Remembering, so for example, an alternative to that, uh, we should all remember that if we're if you're listening to this podcast and you're working context, everyone you're working with is probably literate and they can read. And so the a much faster way to share information, like a report out is the slowest possible way. Um, conversation or verbal exchange is the slowest form of communication. It's the reason that Amazon executives um, usually sit in meetings for a half hour in silence and actually read an executive summary. So up, you know, from a page to 18 pages of stuff in silence together in a boardroom, and then they look up and talk about it. Because that reading time, like they can all get on the same... In this case, I guess literally the same page in much less time and then have a really uh, great conversation, a deep dive around it. So an alternative to report outs is put up the key information you have on a slide, say, can you read this? And then in two minutes, I'm going to invite you to unmute and just popcorn out what strikes you about this? What questions do you have about this? Can you type into the chat what feels most important about this? Like give them some prompt, so give the entire group meeting, even though there's only six people there, the invitation to contribute to or on your report out. And that doesn't need to take a long time, right? Because you're going to save, if you were to read through and talk through that slide, there's going to be all these verbal pauses and ums and uhs, and you're going to double back and you're going to repeat yourself. It's going to take three times as long to get that same information out as it would for people to just read it. And then you can use that extra time to actually have a little back and forth, have a conversation about it. Um, so for me, that's that idea of contributed content or designing designing content for contribution rather than consumption is mm -hmm. a big one. And then the, the, the last one, and, and maybe this starts to bring us home, Shane, is closing. We so often get to the end of a meeting. We have like one or two minutes left. 
and we rush to find the next calendar openness to schedule another meeting to just continue that meeting. And the idea of a closing, I met a professional storyteller once. Um, it, it wasn't Gabrielle Dolan, but she is a wonderful storyteller. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And I asked her her number one tip for telling really phenomenal stories. And she, without even blinking an eye, she's about 70, 80 years old, all white hair. Without even blinking an eye, she goes, I got it. All you have to do is know the first sentence that you're going to say and the last sentence. And I think the the leadership equivalent to that is you've got to know the first thing you're going to do and the last thing that you're going to do with a group. And so inviting people to close, if you want to close at a high energy level, which is important because that's going to be what the, what people bring into their next meeting and into your next meeting with them, I would invite groups to end with something that is a little bit higher energy, a little bit more uplifting, might invite people's contribution. One example that I like that's really low hang fruit is an exercise group anthem where you simply invite people to make closing statements that begin with one of three phrases, either I am, I believe, or I will. And so when the, when the whole group shares a closing statement in that format, it starts to sound like music a little bit, actually. It sounds really cool. Those prompts generally phrase either really authentic or really uplifting things. Um, and it's such a cool way for a leader to end with the group's words rather than uh, their own. Right, like you could make the most inspirational statement on the planet, but it's not going to be nearly as cool as hearing fifteen different voices all come out and offer their thoughts or their contribution. And as a leader of a meeting, that's hearing that back, it allows you to hear uh, one of the the questions that I'll often give to people who are you know speaking. As I said, you know, the, one of the worst questions you can ask at the end is "How did I do?" That's the question that everyone asks. Like they'll go there, people and go, "How did I do?" And what they're looking for is like an evaluation on their performance, and and. And it's such an unhelpful question. And the question I reframe that with is how did I help? Like, like what was the thing that, that what, what was most valuable from this? And so it moves away from how did I do as a performance to actually how did I add value and how was I in service to you? And you can actually gauge was the intent that I set up with or set out with, did I achieve that? Because am I hearing it come back to me? You know, it's like by the end of that, I need them to know this. Okay, so when I ask you, how did this help? Are they echoing that back to me or are they saying something completely different? Um, but what you're kind of touching on here is this ability to be able to, to hear back in their own words the value that was being able to add be added within that conversation, which for me makes them a lot more sense than just going, well, here's my w- words of wisdom to kind of part ways with, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I actually really love that framing of how did I help as opposed to how did I do? It's such a useful little meme to take into like the world of uh, feedback generation. Uh, as leaders, I think we need to be really mindful of the types of feedback that we solicit. Um, because public speaking, for example, we've mentioned both, uh, and I know that we, uh, both speak publicly. It's like a little bit of a modern day gladiator. Like very quickly people are holding a <laughs> thumbs up or a thumbs down and that might shift throughout a little bit, yeah. but, but like in every single group, right. If you're speaking to a thousand people, there's going to be some people who hated whatever you did. And it is more a reflection of who they are and where they're at in that moment, perhaps than who you are, uh, right? Because they're, you know, they're making that assessment off of eight minutes of getting to know you. Um, whereas, you know, if your wife was sitting in the audience and said that was really terrible, that feedback might matter a little bit more because <laughs> they really, really know you. But when you're sol- soliciting feedback from from strangers or, or people that don't have a really deep understanding of who you are, yeah, you got to be really cautious about taking that personally. So I love separating it to say, tell me about the impact. Don't tell me about me. 
Um, it's a really beautiful distinction. And and probably a really nice way to kind of bring this conversation into land. Like I'm thinking that now as I'm reflecting on this, I, I'm going to break this podcast up over to two episodes because I, I would, would normally kind of bring these in a little bit shorter, but there was just so much that you were adding in terms of value that I wanted to kind of give the space for this good conversation. As you kind of reflect back over the conversation that we've been having, like what, have, what are, you, are some of the things that you've been hearing and what are things that are standing out to you from this conversation? I think there's a theme, obviously I have a major uh, bias toward for listening uh, for this, but I think just the theme of how simple, simple, simple shifts in the questions we're asking can actually create large trajectory shifts. So I think about you sharing about some of your experiences with working with senior leaders. And um, I think about if one question is actually, I think about how we met, right? We wouldn't actually be here in this moment, I believe, if I had sat down at that table and said and answered where are you from and what do we do and and had that exact same conversation, there's a reason that I think uh, and so you know conversations create matter, and so mm-hmm. for any leader out there to um, really understand that conversations are not rainbows and butterflies of business. It's not like oh no, you skip past this connection conversation thing like we need to get down to work like no that actually is the source of work. No work happens without some level of relatedness. And I think maybe that's it right there. There's there's the the theme, I think, of what we've been talking about is no real work or meaningful or sustainable work can happen without some level of relatedness but not too oh much. Gosh, I love that. <laughs> the, the thing that I, I, I reflect back on that experience where we had, where we connected and where we started this podcast. And for me, we can often um, think of connections as this kind of serendipitous. It just so happened that our paths crossed. But what I'm hearing in so much of what you're saying is that we can actually be more intentional so that it doesn't just become a passing moment, but we can actually create these connections that last and actually connect at a human to human level. If we just put a little bit more intention behind what we're doing, uh, whether that's online and we didn't even touch back into the real world of hybrid online working. But again, the principles that underpin that, which is that we all want to connect. And if we could just dive past that, that small talk or that, you know, the kind of how was your weekend into the more meaningful conversations, we could actually create these connections that last a long time and accelerate the process. I reckon that's a good conversation. And I reckon that's helpful for people. <laughs> yeah, very no- largely nodding my head. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you, I could teach you all the tactics and all those five ingredients wouldn't matter one hoot if we weren't completely intentional with why we were doing any of those things in the first place. So simple, um, but it, it's by far the ingredient that creates the biggest shift in any any group. Chad, seriously, thank you so much. I know you don't do a lot of these podcasts. And so taking time to, to be on this was, I, I really appreciate it. And I know I've got a lot of value personally from your resources, from your book, your questions, the cards, um, and people can connect with you in a bunch of different ways. But also I, I watch your videos on LinkedIn, the content you put out on LinkedIn. So generally I would say reach out with, and I'll put the link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, as well as the link to your website as well. But are there any other ways that people can kind of connect with you and engage with you? From here? Yeah, I think in being in an audio only format, um, you didn't see like the the questions that we've been talking about. So if you if you're busy and you don't want to actually do the thinking to come up with questions, you can go to uh, we and dot me slash ideas and just download a, f- um, a free printable set of these questions that we've been talking about. So the you know the what is your strangest food is on there. The what is something you know really well. Um, and and 60 more questions. So feel free to go there, weand.me slash ideas. Um, and you can download that 
Kardec and start your next meeting right after this podcast with a question that shifts the state of your group. Uh, incredible. Thank you. And I, I want to say thank you, not just for joining me, but thank you for your work. I think it's good work and it's work that is, is making a difference on the planet. And so thank you for that. And thanks for being part of the show. Thanks, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week. 